want to get started this morning and get rolling. Romans chapter 12, and uh, we're now getting down into this second area. We uh, looked last time at verse 3, and uh, really we just kind of been one-versing it at a time. Uh, we've been in the book of Romans now a little over two years, so we're doing all right. This is less than 129, so we got to few more to go. So verse 1, if you will, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, and, and again, the first section, we're talking now in section 12 to 16, this fourth and final section, the issue of our uh, reasonable service and how the will of God now is going to apply to that. And we spent uh, ample time in the first two verses talking about that. Starting in verse 3 through verse 16, we look at how the will of God in relation to our reasonable service to the church, the body as a whole, the corporate issue here. Um, and as we are going to serve minister there. So verse 3, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, of ministry, let us wait in our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, or he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity." He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And then, in, so in this section, we're, we're going to get through verse 4, I hope, <laughs> and maybe five, 4 and 5 this morning, okay? Because what happens now is in this second area of reasonable service, 3 to 16, he starts with, hey, let's not think of himself more highly than he ought. Verse 16, he concludes the section with the same warning. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceit. So we have this bookend of warnings of how we're to be thinking and how we're to have a divine perspective. And we talked last time and out of verse 3 there, for I say through the grace given unto me. And that issue there, he's not talking about the gospel He's not talking about identification truths. He's talking about the grace that God gave to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. And, and we looked at that. And really the kicker in verse 3 is that issue of the measure of faith. And everybody gets you know, hung up on that because they don't read the word the as the. They read the the as a, a measure of faith. In other words, he gave a certain percentage of faith to, uh, what's your name again? No, <laughs> to Paul. He gave a certain uh, mess, uh, portion 
to, uh, to Brian, to, to Ray. I was looking at Ray, thinking about Brian. I almost called him Ray. So he, and that's what people usually do. That's how they take that. But rather, the measure here, that standard, the, we use a, do we go by the metric system or do we go by the standard system? Which way do we go? Are we Celsius in our degrees or are we Fahrenheit? Well, we're Fahrenheit, okay? That's how we function. Here's the measure, the standard, that objective standard. And notice it's the measure of faith. That word faith, uh, when Paul talks about, like in this here, he says the word uh, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The issue of faith is more than just you trusting in something. It's the content. It's that standard of faith. That's, the, that's what, God, what God has revealed up, really here and up until this point when Romans is written. Now, we sit today with the completed revelation. That's why in verse 6, 7, and 8, there's going to be the issue of the gifts being given. And we'll spend some time uh, a little bit today, but mostly next week on. Because that issue of the gift giving, there, there, there's some things that we don't have the completed revelation in the book of Romans here. The folks at Romans only have what's been revealed. So there's a need for the administrative gifts to be given, which is what he's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 12. And in Ephesians 4, he talks about, it's interesting in 1 Corinthians 12, we'll get over there, uh, when we talk about the gifts, is that he actually number, uh, prioritizes the first three major gifts. And they're administrative type gifts. They're gifts for the edifying of the saints. And then he just throws them all, the rest of them all in the thing. <laughs> all, all, he just throws them up there. So when we are looking here, that issue of the measure of, come over to 1 Corinthians 4. Uh, here, here's a wonderful verse about this issue of measure and the measure of faith. First uh, Corinthians 4. So when we think about the measure, we're talking about the, that objective standard of faith and what has God revealed, the sound doctrine, and he's revealed it equally to everyone. There isn't one that gets more than the other. It's all there. First Corinthians 4, if you look at verse 6, and these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sake, that ye might learn in us, now watch, not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for, up for one against another. Notice, think of above what? That which is written. That's the measure of faith. That's the standard. The standard is, is what has God written. Well, Paul, when we come back to Romans 12, he's just, Romans is written in Acts 20 time frame, 2021 time frame, and he's just getting it ready. So the message, the measure is what Paul has written to this point. Now, more's coming. The book of Ephesians, Philippians, and so on is coming. That's why he just makes a reference here to things as we've come through Romans. We've seen He's referenced the rapture. There's no, the details of the rapture are given to us in 1 Thessalonians 4. He makes a reference. But then he makes a reference of the heavenly places and our being glorified there. 
But he doesn't give any details. Why? The details are in the book of Ephesians. It hasn't come yet. It's not time for that. So when you come back into Romans 12, 3, hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Make sure the the is a the and not an a. Because the a measure idea gets it all, you know, 70 to 1 and 2% to this guy and 20. And you get this convoluted mess. And really, it's not that at all. It's here's what's been revealed. So here's what is going to be given. He's given the standard, and that standard is what God has written in the sound doctrine. Now, verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. For the very first time in the Scriptures... We are reading about a body. Prior to Paul, we read about a kingdom. We read about a a nation. We don't read about a body. We'll read about a church in the wilderness. We'll read about Jesus Christ building a church on the rock and all that, the messianic church, the kingdom church, but nothing about a body. Today... Paul's Pauline language, Pauline terminology is for as we have many members in one body. The reason we're to be sober-minded, the reason that we're to have this reasonable service amongst ourselves, the body, is because God has designed his church today in such a way that he uses that, that picture of a body as the illustration, as the the, the description of it. So when you come to, when we begin here in Romans 12, as we're beginning to talk here in this second area of reasonable service where we're dealing with each other, church, how do we interact and how do we serve each other? And as we begin in verse 4 and 5 here, and we see in 6, 7, and 8, obviously, we begin to see how God designed the church to function, and it's in a body life mentality. You follow with me, okay? So in Romans 12, 1 to 2, here's our reasonable service unto God. 3 to 16, here's our ministry to the church at large, the members of one another and so forth. But then in that 3 to 16, we're going to go 3 to 5, here's the design of the body. 6, 7, and 8, here's how we're going to minister. 9 and so forth, here's that and so forth. So when we get into this issue in verse 4 and 5, body terminology is now what is going to be used, is now what is going to, how it's going to be described. Come over, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll spend some time this morning on this because that issue of a body, it never, prior to Paul, nothing about a body. Church, a nation, yes, but not describing the church. He describes the church, the kingdom church as a little flock. He describes it as a believing remnant, but never a body until he gets to today in the dispensation of grace. Ephesians 1, now we're just jumping in here, verse 22, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church 
which is his, what? Body. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. See that issue of he's the head, he's the head over all things, notice, to the church, which is his what? His body. That issue of, by the way, he's not the, here in Ephesians 1, he's not the head of the church. That's going to come over in Colossians 1. Look over at Colossians 1. Colossians 1, and again, we're just jumping in. Verse 18, Colossians 1, 18. Hold on to Ephesians. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn, and so forth. You see that there, he is the head of the body, the church. In Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, he's the head over all things to the church. Because he's the head over all, it's to our benefit to have him as head over all things. Why? Because he is our head. And if you understand how the body works, how does the body work? Which way the head goes is where the body's going to go more, more than likely, okay? Now, come over to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. In the passage here where Paul describes that spirit-filled life, Ephesians 5.25, he says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. Okay. Verse 23, to the, for the wives there, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Now come down to verse 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Now, notice that carefully. We're members of his what? Of his body. But then it goes on. It doesn't just stop there. Of his flesh and of his bones. There's more, there's more, there's an intimate relationship here. Okay? The, the intimacy of it. The the. We literally are the visible manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, while we're here on the planet Earth, okay? So, if the world is to see Christ, where is he going to look? Where is the world to look? The body. Us. Members of the body. So, when the world, when you and I go out into the world and do our reasonable service, our ambassadorship, what are we doing? We are making all men see what is the... Fellowship of the men. We're, we're putting on display bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. Why? Because we're his body. That's a, little, that's a little bit more intimate than just saying we belong to the church. There's an intimacy there. There's this, there's this connection here. There's this thing about the issue here of... 12, 3, Romans 12, verse 3, how are we to think? Soberly. We're to have a sober mind, a clear mindset, a clear thinking. We're to be thinking, we're to be transformed when we look there in, in 12, 1 and 2. When we're transformed, that issue of who we are in Christ is coming out. We looked over at the Mount Transfiguration, that issue of being transfigured, transformed. Who Christ was literally came out in front of Peter, James, and John. There he was. That's what's happening with us. And what, what, what's happening is, in, as we're beginning to think about this body, 
is come over to Colossians 2. We'll just develop this up a little better. Colossians 2, we're, we're not talking about some disjointed fig thing. We're talking about being his body. Colossians 2, notice the language, verse 19. And not holding the head. Notice it's a capital H. Here's his title. Now, the problem at Colossae, Colossians is a book of correction, which is a book of correcting bad doctrine. The bad doctrine was that they weren't holding the head. Okay, They were being bewitched off into and beguiled over into other things. That's what whole of two is. Two, four there, they were beguiled with enticing words. Verse 8, they were carried away by philosophy and vain deceit and traditions of men and rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Verse 16, they're being carried away in a religion. In verse 18, they're being carried away by supernatural events. They're not holding the head. That's the issue here. Verse 19, from which all the body... Now watch, by joints and bands have nourishment ministered and knit together, increase with the increase of God. Notice that. Notice the language there, how Paul describes the relationship between the head and the body. Where do we get the nourishment? Well, it's coming from the head, you know, from (laughs) the other. Linda says, do you want some ice cream? Now... Of course, all right? I lost weight, but I ain't dumb, you know. Get some ice cream. Well, what happens? So we have a little bowl of ice cream. Now, a couple hours later, I'm hurting because of the dairy. But in the moment, what's the head saying? Ooh, yeah, ice cream. What's the body saying? Ooh, tastes good. Then the body says, hey, dummy, hey, why did you say that, you know? Because, well, it's that nourishment. It's but it's also that knit together, that joints and bands. There's a connection there. You don't lose the connection, okay? I think about uh, having uh, knee replacements or hip replacements, and you get those body parts, but you know what? It's still your knee. Why? Because all the joints and the ligaments are all there. You're just having some help by, you know, titanium or whatever it is, you know. Uh, and, you know, cow valves or move valves, you know, pig valves or whatever it is. But what are you? You're still, it's still you. That, that intimacy here, that issue of being fitly joined, knit together. So when we think about our reasonable service now out to the body, how are we to be thinking about the other body? There's that, that, that picture there. Now, come back to Ephesians 4. Because Paul gives it to us again here. Ephesians 4 and verse 16. So when we talk here about body, we're not talking about some abstract spiritualization of something. We're talking about this relationship that we have with the the Lord Jesus Christ, but also with one another. We're We're knit together, 416, for whom, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto edifying of itself in love. Again, 
Notice how he describes the whole body. What are we? We're fitly joined, right? But we're compacted by that. There's, when you're compacted, there's no space between us. There's no distance between. When I was working in the grocery store, we would break down our cardboard boxes and we would put them in the compactor. And that compactor, and they big sign, make sure your hands are clear. Why? Because what was going to happen? You would crush your hand. And we got a couple people do that. They can't read English, apparently. I mean, big old sign. I mean, not only words, but pictures. You know, it's like, ooh. you know, and what, what it compacted, no space. You see, God designed the body to enjoy a relationship, to enjoy an identity with the head, with each other, where there's no distance, there's no space, there's no isolation, there's no absence, there's no, no, it's what? Compacted together. Okay? And now usually what happens then is everybody says, well, now we have unity. No, you have union. Union and unity are two different things. The great illustration I heard one time is you can take two cats, tie their tails together. What do you have? You have a union, but you don't have unity, see? You have a union. And unity, you can, ha you can have that union and not have the unity, and that'll be okay. We'll get into that as we go through Romans 12. The point is, is what do we have? We have this, this organism, body, that comes in, and there, what, it's, there's no distance, no space. Now we have to go back to Romans 12. How are we to be thinking? Let every man that is in among you not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. We're to be thinking the way God's thinking. And you know what? In God's thinking, there's no space between us and him, and there's no space between us and the big body picture. Okay? There's no space between any of that where we are together. And the body concept is what's going to now begin to kind of filter through this section in Romans 12 to 16 with the issue of our interaction with one another. Now, when we interact with the world and the lost and the government and all that, that's a different relationship. But when he begins to talk about us, how do we do with the body corporately, 12, uh, 3 to 16, then uh, individually we get over here with the weaker brother in 14 and 15, there's this concept here that we have this wonderful union, not only with each other, but with the head. And that's the tremendous thing here. So in 12.4, when he says, For as we have many members in one body, and, are, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. And again, that's the picture of the relationship that we are to have with each other. Body oneness. No distance between. Now, come over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because 1 Corinthians 12 is going to play into this because of what Paul does here as he begins to give details about this body. 
It's unique. It's got Christ as the head, and it becomes... By the way, if, if he's the head, then it's whose life? His life. Who's thinking? It's his thinking. Whose attitudes? It's his attitudes that are soberly, don't think any high, don't think highly of yourself, don't be wise in your own conceits, but think how? Soberly, righteously, clearly. How does he think about this? What's his viewpoint on this? How is he going to work through this? How, how would, how would I, 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 there's a guy on uh, Facebook I, I watch because he's a King James guy, and he's got a great mime. What Bible would Jesus use? <laughs> you know, and, and it's really he's going after the new King James because they, they just destroy the Lord. But the thing is, is, well, what would he say? What, what would he say? He would say, low in the volume of the book, it is written of who? Me. So let's go with the book that's about me, not all this other. See, you, you have... But when you think, begin to think about how would he think about this? How does he, how does he, what's his goals? How does he work down through life's issue? Because he's what? He's the head. How does he perceive it? We get in the car the other day. We get it, you know, it's hot. Car's been sitting. So what do you do? Crank up that AC, right? But what's the air conditioning blowing? Hot air initially. Yeah, well, until you start moving, and not in my case, you know. So what does your mind say? Why why'd you do that? Why don't you open the windows? Why you know, I'm a, well, what do you think about this? Well, that's what we're doing here. How do you how do you work down through this? Now, at Corinth, they have a problem. They have uh, at least four divisions amongst them. If you remember chapter one, they've got some follow Peter, some follow our some follow Cephas, Peter. Some follow Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. Some are following Apollos, and some are following Paul. So you've got divisions. They are babes, aren't they? They're carnal. There's carnality. They're carnal in their thinking. They're letting the world, uh, they're being conformed to, they're letting the world dictate who they are, define who they are. Remember Romans 12, 2? Be not conformed. Don't let the world define you. You define here is who you are. They're letting the world do that. So what, so what does that create then? Some gaps, some space, some distance between. So Paul, in rebuking the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, gives a great description about the body here. Now, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 if you look at 12.1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Paul uses that term, ignorant brethren, or wouldn't have you to be ignorant brethren, or brethren ignorant. He uses that six times. Each of the times he uses it, there is critical doctrine that's in that subject matter. He looks in 1 Thessalonians 4. I wouldn't have you to be ignorant that... Uh, we which all, um, oh, I just had it. <laughs> Ain't that the way it goes? First Thessalonians 4.13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. And then he spends the rest of the chapter talking about the events that we call the rapture, the gathering together. See? So you got to know this. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, 
he's going to talk about the spiritual gifts. Because the Corinthians have done what with them? They've abused them. They've made them carnal. They've made them carnality. They, it's causing divisions. So he comes in, and, he, and we're going to spend more time here next week so I, about the spiritual gifts. But look at verse 12. He's going to get into it with them in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12 about the gifts, but he does something when he does that. He then uses the body as an illustration of how the gifts ought to be fun, how you, you've abused them, and this is how they were designed to work. Verse 12, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is who? Is Christ. See that one? There's no space between. So is who? Christ. So if I offend you or if I violate you and who you are, who am I really violating? Who am I really offending? Christ. See, how, that's how you ought to be thinking about it. Now, we're not, again, you're going to have disagreements. You're going to have, you know, we get over in Romans 16 there about, you know, if causing divisions and so forth. First, Second Thessalonians 3, uh, treat him as a brother, not as an enemy. There's, there's ways of thinking about that. All right, But here we're not talking about, here we're just talking about the issue of the body. Verse 13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Notice, again, just notice the language about one body. Now, the mechanics in verse 13, how do I get into the body? The Holy Spirit's activity does that. I am baptized. That word baptized, you guys understand that. We're not talking about water. We're, not, we're talking about a spiritual baptism, a dry baptism, but the issue of baptism talks about, and, and in Scripture, is the issue of identification. We're identified where? In the body. Right? Please say yes. Okay, thank you. Whew. Folks on the Internet, there are people in the room, and they're a little sleepy, and that's okay. The issue of baptism here... It's the issue of identification. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. By. Notice not with. Now in Ephesians 1 we learned we're sealed with. But here, who's doing the activity? The Holy Spirit is. In Ephesians 1, the sealing is the activity is being performed by the Father using the Holy Spirit. Here, the job of the Holy Spirit, the the part of cribs, C-R-I-B-S, is that issue of identifying us with the body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles. So no matter who we are uh, 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 racially here, whether we be bond or free, no matter who we are economically, socially, bond or free. We've been watching Downton Abbey because the movie came out, and I, I've converted Linda now. She, she, we've watched all six seasons. We've watched... We, watched, we went to the movie theater and watched the new movie. She didn't quite get it, so we've watched the, old, the first movie. Now that we rewatched the second, she goes, now I understand. <laughs> i like, oh, thank you. Okay? So what happened? What do you learn in there? You have what? You have an upstairs and a downstairs. But what are they? One household. See? The house. We have this. We have 
no matter, are you upstairs or downstairs? No matter where you're at, if you're in Christ, where are you? You're in the body. Now watch the end of the verse. And have been all made to drink into one spirit. Drink. When he says we're to be sober, Romans, Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine, but be what? Filled with the spirit, right? Okay? You see the, 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 the picture being drawn of drinking and being sober, being filled and being sober-minded? What's contro- filled, controlling you? What's, what's running your, what is, what it's running your thinking process? To be filled with is to be consumed by. It's to come along and to be controlled by. And we're to be sober. We're not influenced by a drink. We're not influenced by self, self-indulgence, self-whatever we want. We're not there. We've what? We've put that off, and we're renewing our mind to be over here. We're sober-minded. We're to be, verse 13, we're to, be to, we're to drink into the one spirit. <laughs> we're to get drunk on him. Can I say it like that? And you catch what's He's to consume us. Now, when we con- are consumed by the Spirit, Spirit works where? In His Word. So we're being consumed by what? His Word. So when you think here now, verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. Now from verse 14 to 27, Paul gives a wonderful description of the body. And it's a tremendously important And what he's going to do in verse 15 to 20, and we're going to read it, we're going to look through it, is he answers the false view of, well, I'm inferior. Okay? Then in verse 21 to 23, 24, he answers the question of, I'm superior than others. And he says, no, you're what? You're all one. Verse 15, if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, it is, it, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? See, that? if the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were a hearing, where were the smelling? You see, don't think that you're inferior. You're not inferior. You're just as valuable as who? Everybody else. Verse 18. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. By the way, you've got to remember that verse. When we talk about the gifts and stuff. The gifts are given by the Holy Spirit, wherewithal, but also by the Father, also by the Son. We'll look at all that next time. But the thing is, is verse 18 is, who's, who's doing, who's setting the stage? The head is. Why? It's his body, and he's putting it where he wants it. We all would want to say, the Corinthians said what? We all want to be, well, speaking in tongues is their big one. Why do they speak in tongues? By the way, draw your eye over. Just verse 28. And God hath set some in the church. Notice, first apostles, 
secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, so what is the best gift? What's first gift? Apostles. What's second gift? Prophets. What's third gift? Teaching. Why? That's for the edification of the body. That's for the communication of the sound doctrine and the growth of the body, the maturing of the body. After that, what do we got? We got a whole list of stuff. And by the way, where is tongues at? It's at the end of the verse. <laughs> and what did the Corinthians do? They promoted that to number one. Why? Well, because when you speak in tongues, what's everybody do? They look at you. Right? So what did they do? They, they took the body function of the tongue, if you will, and they made it number one, but who set it in order, verse 18? Who set the order? The head did. Why? Because we have something we're doing with these guys. Verse 19. And if they were all one body, I'm sorry, and if they were all one member, were, where were the body? But now are they, they many members, yet but one body. Don't think that you're inferior when it comes to the whole. You, that is improper thinking. You need to think as God thinks. How does God think about you? You're a critical component in the body. You're not inferior. You are, if I think about Brother Lay, he paralyzed, no use of his feet. He could get around just fine in his wheelchair. He got, you know, could do, but he couldn't do what? Stand up. He couldn't walk. He couldn't do what, but that did not make him any less of a person or anything. It doesn't make him any less a member of the body. It just, the accident happened and here we are. To, in order to stand up and to walk, what do you need? Well, you need more than your foot. You need a whole bunch of parts of the system to work. The first one is this thing up here because it's sending a signal down to let's take a step. You need that little toe. You need the big toe. You need the 10 toes or 12 toes or whatever you got. Okay? You need all that. Why? Because that's part of the system. Don't think you're inferior. But sometimes we do think that, don't we? We look around and we go, hey, I'm just a little, I'm a nobody in this. But yet, how does God view you? How does God, he says, no, you're a vital member of the body. Verse 21, and the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are what? So if the eye says to the foot or the hand, I don't know need of you, what's the eye acting like? He's superior, isn't he? Because without the eye, guess what? You can't see where you're going. But can't blind people function? Sure they can. I was in the, I got called to court duty, jury duty. Uh, this is B.C., before COVID, okay? And I'm sitting there. And I'm the 13, I'm juror number 13. Juror number 17 is a blind guy. The case in front of us is an insurance deal, and it's got 
I mean, these guys walked in with truckloads of charts. You could see them. You know, they're big portfolio things. The judge, you know, the judge is going to, it's time to do, uh, wadir the, the jury. We're going to get them out of here. So I got out because I was a bus driver, and they're not going to do that to the school system. But the first juror that he spoke to was the blind guy. He said, before we get started, juror number 17, uh, can you see anything? Please stand. So the, the guy stands. Can you see anything? He goes, no, sir, I can't. He looked at the judge, literally, the judge looked at his clerk and says, what is this man doing on the jury rolls? He has a handicap. He has a disability that is critical in any trial. Order the clerk. I mean, he's talking to his clerk. Tell the county clerk, take him off the rolls. Sir, you're dismissed. Somebody help him out. And by the way, you will never be bothered with this nonsense. I mean, the judge got mad. He got mad quick because it took 15, 20 minutes of time because you got to get everybody settled. You gotta, and then you've got to deal. He doesn't, you know, I called. You know, you get the 1-800 number. Call and get off or 602 number. So I called. I go, well, I'm a bus driver, and I've got to do it. They go, sir, the new rules are judges are the ones that make these decisions. Have a good day. We'll see you Monday morning. Click. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know, well, the judge made a deal. But what was wrong with the guy? He could still function. He came up on the elevator with us. He walked. He went over. He, and he's using a, his stick, his cane, seeing cane, and he gets there. He got a cup of coffee. He went down. Now, somebody helped him with the coffee because don't spill it. You know, you're trying to help the guy. But he was like, I can do it. You, you talk to Brother Lay in the chair. I can do this. It isn't. What's the, what did the eye pull? He pulled superiority because I am needed. Verse 23, and I'm sorry, verse 22. Nay, much more, those members of the body which, notice, seem to be. There's a thinking problem here, isn't there? They seem to be more feeble, yet what are they? They're necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. I mean, you think about your internal organs and, oh, yeah, yeah, what, why do I need this? And yet, if you pull it out, I, think about that. When I had my motorcycle accident, uh, I hurt up here. And the paramedics were like, we're going to take you to the hospital. I said, I ain't riding in that. I'll go. And, I, and another guy comes over, and he pushes. I go, dude, that hurts, man. You're the third one to hit it there. It hurts. And he goes, well, you need to go get that checked out because it could be your spleen. Can anybody tell me what the spleen does? But if you, buy, if you mess it up, it'll kill you. Your appendix, it's a filter. But if it blows up and you don't get help, what happens? It can, see, you look at that and go, why, why is that even there? But it's needed to do what? Make the system work. That's the point here. Verse 24, for our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That, now watch, there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care one for another. There's the compacted issue. 
There's to be no difference. There's to be no division. We are to be of the same care, of the same mind. Why? Because we're the body. Again, take two cats, tie their tails together. You have union, but you don't have unity. (laughs) Okay? So we're not, we're talking beyond, we're talking more than just, you know, everybody getting along to get along. When false doctrine shows up, you're, you're to cut that out. Okay? You're to amputate that. You're to move it along. Verse 26. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Who are we? We're the body of Christ. We're not Israel. Now in Romans 9, 10, and 11, we've already learned that. We're not replacing Israel. We're not spiritual Israel. We're not rehab Israel. We're not a redo. We are who? Who are we? We're the body. 12, 4, one body. Verse 5, so we as one body. And that, what did God create here? He's created a new creature, a new body. Verse 27, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. That's, that's the, the point. So when you come back now to Romans 12, Paul is using, going to use, a ter, use terminology moving forward. And it's this body mentality. Verse 5, Romans 12, 5, So we, being many, are what? Are one. And that's the design of the body, to be one. Now we've learned who we are in Christ. We've learned we're one in Christ. We're Joined with each other. And again, that doesn't mean we get along with each other. You're in 12. If you look down at verse 18, as he's going to deal with our our reasonable service with the lost world, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with... It doesn't say the lost. It says what? All men. So there are some times when you do have to look at another brother, another member of the body, and say, you know what, in order for me to live peaceably, it means I don't have, okay? And Paul talks about that. He tells Titus, after two or three admonitions, reject them. And he's not talking about the loss. He's talking about other believers. He tells Timothy, uh, these men are going to wax worse and worse. He's talking about believers who've left Paul, left the message, and he says, you know what you're to do? You're to mark and avoid them. You're to move them on. You're not to have fellowship with them. Yeah, but Rick, we're looking for the unity. It isn't about that. It's about thinking properly, sober thinking. Now, go back to Revelation 12. Um, Romans 12, sorry, Revelation 12. You can tell where I was reading today, huh? Romans 12. There's an il- there should never be there should never be any distance among the body corporately we're talking about here locally as well because we're a local manifestation of that corporate entity but there is there, and it happens and it happens to happen with a broken heart and with tears shed but it does happen now verse 6 i want to introduce this, we're not going to get into it because we only have 10 minutes before the hour. Maybe we'll get out a little early. 
surprise Linda. <laughs> She'll go, what's wrong? Look at verse 6. <clears throat> By the way, verse 9, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. From 9 to 16, he, Paul is going to show us, here is, here is what knit together, compacted together, looks like. Here's what, how functionally, practically, it's to look like. Here's the, here's the doctrine that allows this one body thought process to literally function and work out in our day-to-day, 9 to 16. But before he gets there, he does something in verse 6, 7, and 8 with the gifts here, and he's doing something here in verse 6, 7, and 8 with the gifts connected to the issue of thinking soberly and not thinking of himself more highly than he ought to think because it's having to do with ministering to one another. How do we minister to each other? Well, what is the design of the body? The design of the body is one, unity, union. No space, no gaps, no divisions. It's all one, same care, same mindset. How, do we do, how is that accomplished? There's ministering to be done. So he says, verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophesying, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And he gives the gifts here, okay? And, and again, these are administrative gifts that he gives here. I just kind of want to introduce it, if we will, and then when we get done, then we'll pick up here next time because there's three major passages in the Pauline epistles about the gifts, the spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, and then Ephesians chapter 4, okay? Now, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 next time. I want you to catch what's happening here in Romans 12. Because in Romans 12, Paul is not explaining. He is not teaching the body about the spiritual gifts. He doesn't explain the reasoning for them. He doesn't explain the purpose of them. He doesn't explain the operation of them. He doesn't explain uh, how they come, why they come, what they're to be doing. He doesn't explain the mechanics of it here in Romans 12 at all. He doesn't say a word about that. Now, he will in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Ephesians 4. Not here. Here, the purpose here is to emphasize that the godly attitude, the godly mentality, the sober thinking that one is to have as they approach that spiritual gift. Follow that? That issue of sober thinking. How, what should my mindset be if I have this gift? Did I confuse you? Okay. Notice what he says. 
Again, he doesn't tell us how, what, where, when, who, what. Any of, he doesn't deal with any of the mechanics of it. Verse 6, having then gifts differing, notice, according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophesy, prophecy, let us prophesy, what? According to the proportion of faith. The according to. How does the prophet think? He doesn't say anything about what, he doesn't say anything about what the prophet's supposed to do as far as in the gift of the prophet. Who's the prophet? How does it work? How did they get it? He says, no. Well, how's the prophet to function? How's the prophet to look? He's, a, he's let us prophesy what? According to the proportion of faith. Now, we'll get into the proportion next time. We, the time. I'm worried about the time. But look at verse 7. Or ministry. Let us what? Wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth, we're to what? We're to wait on the teach. You see that word wait? That's like a waiter. Now, by the way, the word ministry, in 1 Corinthians, it's helps. They're the same thing. Ministry, helps. What does a waiter do or a waitress do? They serve, but what do they do? They help you, don't they? I mean, I could get up and order the food. Nowadays, they got the little thing at the kiosk. But notice what he said, how he says it. What, what is the thought process here that I'm to have if I have the gift of ministry. What am I to do? I'm to wait on it. I'm to have a mindset of waitering, helping, serving. What about uh, exhortation? What am I to do? I'm on to exhort. I'm to wait on that exhortation. Now look at verse eight there. He that giveth. Now nobody wants the gift of giving. Okay. Now. By the way, all the spiritual gifts have ceased. We understand that. Okay, we'll talk more about this next time. But notice the thing about giving. Let him, let him do it with what? See, the attitude is what? Simplicity. It isn't a, it's not a... Who's watching me? Go over there and drop it in the box. It isn't that. It isn't, hey, how did I get this? Who did this? But it's a what? It's an attitude. And that's what he's getting at here in Romans 12. By the way, or he that ruleth with what? Diligence. And he that soweth, showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So that's what Paul's doing here in Romans 12. He's not laying out the mechanics. Nowhere does he say, the Holy Spirit giveth to whomsoever he will. Now, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that. Okay? Here he's not. Here it's about what? The sober thinking. How, if I have the gift of teaching, by the way, 1 Timothy 3, if a man desires the office of, he's desired. But that office of the bishop, the preacher, the teacher, is a gift given. It's just stopped, it's ceased. With the completion of the word of God, it stops. The, the gift of giving, the gift has stopped. But giving continues. Let a man so give as purposed in his heart, cheerfully. So these functions still are ongoing. 
But the gift-giving part has stopped. Why? Because we've come to the fullness, and we'll look at Ephesians 4 next time. My point for you this morning in Romans 12, verse 3, how am I to be thinking? I'm to be thinking the way God would have me to be thinking. I'm to be thinking according to the measure of faith, the revealed doctrine given to me. I'm to be thinking that way. How, well, okay, how does that, that proper thinking process think? Well, it thinks about everybody in the body and this oneness and this compacted together. And I ought to be thinking Philippians 2, esteeming others better than myself. I'm looking out for the other guy, that mind of Christ. And then when it comes to the gift, spiritual gifts, because in in historically in time, here it is, how am I to be thinking about them? Am I to have a superior attitude of, well, I got the gift and Paul didn't? No, I already learned that. I'm not, why? Because I'm thinking body life here. You guys follow what's happening? Okay? I'm, I'm worried that I'm not being clear. Because the gift part here, again, people take this stuff and run, and we'll get into the proportional issue, okay, because that's the the thing that they deal with, and we'll talk about that next time. But my point is, is Paul's goal, focus here, isn't to talk about the mechanics. He's to say, here's how you're to think about it, because if you don't have the right mindset, then you'll never be able to perform 9 to 16, which, by the way, is your reasonable service which is the will of God concerning your reasonable service as you interact with, minister, and serve other members of the body, which we sit here locally, okay? Now, we're going to pick up in verse 6, 7, 8 next time. Just get what he's doing here according to, he's going to say some things here about this is the proper manner of thinking, According to the grace. I, I think about that, verse 6. Having then gifts different, according to the grace that is given to us. There's that grace thing again. Okay? All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for who we are in your son. We thank you for the body mentality and the body thinking. And Lord, I just pray that we would incorporate that into our thinking and have that become what consumes it. All for your honor and for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.